Wow, am I glad to be here. Thank you, Karen, for that song. There's a big part of me that says I'm not worthy to stand here after that dear lady. that commands respect. Thank you, Pastor, for the privilege of being here, and thank you for the Corey family for feeding me tonight, and I guess the Millers tomorrow night, and I've enjoyed being with the pastors. Fellowship in the mornings with Brother Dunbar. We've solved almost all the problems. The Republican-Democrat thing, the Buffalo Bills, the Syracuse Orange. We've solved nearly everything. And so the rest of you can be at ease. It's all taken care of. I was looking at my calendar. I leave here and fly up to Baltimore on Thursday, and I speak in a church in Patuxent, Maryland, on Sunday, and they'll have a morning service. And then they're currently meeting about 250 people in a small Jehovah Witness building that they purchased years ago, and now they've saved a couple million dollars and purchased some land right in a very, very uh, good part of town, right in a busy, busy location, and they're going to have a dedication of the property, and so on Sunday afternoon, we'll be out on that land and doing a dedication, and it reminded me of the florist. This church had built a new building, and wow, a nearby church had congratulated them and had paid for this real big $250 spray of flowers to be delivered and it was there on display going to be for their dedication service and wow the pastor when he saw it come in the door and the florist was so proud of it and he brought it up to the front it was kind of fluffing it up a little bit and the pastor wondered who it could be from and boy it kind of peculiar on the card it said with deepest sympathy. And he says to the delivery guy, hey, hey, he said, uh, I have no idea who this is from, but it says, with deepest sympathy. And the guy, he says, what? And he looks at it, he turns white as a sheet, and he grabs it, and he runs out the door, and the pastor says, what's the matter? He says, I just dropped the other one off at the funeral home that said, congratulations on your new location. (laughs) That's probably not even a true story. (laughs) I might use that next week, but I thought you guys enjoyed it. Tonight, I'd like you to turn to the book of Job. The guy that led me to Christ was one of the most humble Christians I've ever met, Howard Nelson. When the Bible says, let each esteem others better than themselves, I know the verse. I aspire to live that verse. I try my best to prefer others before me, but the only man I know that honestly embodied that and lived that and believed that and practiced that was Howard Nelson. Just one of the most humble men I've ever met. And wow, since he wasn't a deep theologue, why he got saved as a well driller at at, at the age of 26 and he went away to BBC in Springfield and That was because tuition was free and he didn't have money and he went there and met uh, with his wife and children and got introduced to three years of getting C's and D's in Bible college. 
And while he left and came to Oshkosh, Wisconsin, and served as the song leader for a guy, his brother-in-law, that was starting our church. And there was just two widow ladies that were praying for God to raise up a church on the south side of Oshkosh. And Pastor Nelson was the song leader, but he worked a job. And after a couple of years, why he was asked to go back to his hometown, La Crescent, Minnesota, where he served as an assistant pastor, song leader, music director. And then just a year later, the founding pastor left, and they asked him to come. And so from 1963 until I got saved in 1969, he pastored our church, a handful of people. And you know how every Baptist church starts, an old codger and a draft dodger and a woman in tennis shoes. And I mean, that's uh, if you'd uh, if you'd uh, the whole congregation had a set of teeth, and uh, it, it was uh, just a menagerie of, I mean, it's just, um, but while uh, they'd got saved, and I say in our case a two-syllable word, saved, we at least knew we needed a Savior, and got saved, and I'm reminded of all this because I'm so thankful. I could have been lost and gone to hell, or I could have been saved under anybody's ministry, but I'm so thankful that this humble man of God was my pastor. And while there was a day, there was kind of mutiny on the bounty, and there was some rumblings, and there was some people missing, and Pastor Nelson, he's, you know, you got to round up the strays. And so he goes to this one family who's been missing for two or three weeks, and he pulls into their driveway, and there's like nine cars there. And they're having roast preacher for supper. And he walks in and says, hey, is this a Tupperware party or something? And from 7 o'clock until 11 o'clock, they called him everything but a white man. And boy, that was a Thursday night. Friday morning was time for him and I to meet, and he was lower than a snake's belly in a wagon wheel rut. He'd been cross-hauled every way you could be cross-hauled. I fully, fully expected him to resign the church on Sunday. And he went to the pulpit on the Sunday morning service after teaching the adult Sunday school class, and there's 70 people out there at the time. And he says, I have an announcement to make. And I'm going, oh boy, here it comes. And he said, I'm the pastor of this church. And I'm going to stay the pastor of this church. He says, I've been thinking a lot about it since Thursday night. And I've decided to stay, and there's two reasons. First, nobody else wants me. I'd love to go someplace else. But, I mean, hey, it's just me. Who wants me? So I'm stuck here. But he said, secondly, you're so rotten that God isn't going to give you a better pastor. This is as high as you're going to fly. If you get rid of me, you're not going to get something worse. You think a bunch of gossips and critics and unthankful people, you think God's going to give you a better pastor? This is as high as you're going to fly. So let's just get used to each other. I put up with you. You put up with me. Let's do our best to serve Jesus. I never forgot that. It takes real grace, real humility, but humility, but real calling to say, hey, I'm here for keeps. There are better pastors, but you're not getting one. 
I love it. There was a day farther down the road, you know, again, you're going to think our church is the Sanhedrin, but <laughs> we had a lot of wonderful Christians. But, you know, if you're in the ministry for 50 years, you see lots of stuff come down the pipe. And there was a day, Pastor Nelson, when he was in the Army Air Corps, he did skydiving in the military, the Korean War era. And so while his children were all six, were adult children, and his son said, I'll pay for it. Why don't we all skydive out of the same airplane on the same day? And we'll jump out of the airplane. Now, Mrs. Nelson wasn't about to do that. But Pastor Nelson was all enthused. They took Saturday, beautiful, idyllic weather, and while they go to the drop zone and they get all, you know, refresher training and, hey, and you'll have a static line that will pull the cord, and if something goes wrong, if you get a streamer, then you pull the emergency ripcord, but you got to get rid of the old chute first and all of this stuff. And they train them, and in the afternoon, the airplane, and up it goes, and they're at six, 7,000 feet, and Pastor Nelson and all of his kids jump out. And they come down, and of course, you know, those guys are, if the wind is this direction, they know to go this way far down, and so you just land in the right spot. And nobody broke their legs, and everybody landed safely, and they had a wonderful time, and then they all went out for a steak dinner, and that was to celebrate his birthday. So this is wonderful. <clears throat> He's 60, 61 years old and jumping out of an airplane. Well, of course, on Sunday morning, just let's be real, if you were the pastor, if you did that, would you mention it on Sunday? Right? Hey, what a blessing. Every one of my kids... I haven't jumped since I was 20 years old. We got trained, and wow, what a wonderful day. And then we went out for my, well, we had a guy. Now, we're all part of the body of Christ. But we had a guy who specialized in being a belly button and an armpit at the same time. <laughs> I'm being as nice as I know how to be. <laughs> We're shaking hands at the door after church. And this guy, in front of God and everybody, lobby full of people, says, I'll tell you what, Pastor, that was the worst sermon I've ever heard preached that was just a bunch of leftovers. That was pretty thin soup. You can't expect to feed the flock of God with something like that. I can't believe you're so carnal and worldly. You're jumping out of airplanes. You're living in the flesh. You're just trying to thrill yourself. You're going to answer to God for that. If you would have been halfway spiritual, you could have been praying for the flock. You could have been studying for the sermon. You could have at least been out soul winning there are people in the hospital. You could have been in the nursing home. Why weren't you fixing a bus? No, no. You're jumping out of an airplane. You're the most worldly pastor I've ever met. And he's not saying it tenderly. He's got blood dripping out of his eyes. He's, he's angry. He's lacing him. Now, I'm a ferocious loyalist. Every inch in me wanted to take his Adam's apple and put it on Mars. <laughs> I mean, he's in the lobby. There's visitors. This is our church. But Pastor Nelson just grinned at him. He says, oh, he says, You've read me all wrong on that. He says, if I wouldn't have been jumping out of an airplane, I would not have been doing something more spiritual. 
I'd have been doing something more worldly. That was as spiritual a thing as I could have done. Now, I'm a way worse Christian than you think. He said, if I wouldn't have been jumping out of an airplane, I'd have been down at the tavern and then chasing women, maybe even your wife. So he said, look, you just ought to just praise the Lord. I was with my family. See, that's the pastor I was raised with. Feet on the ground, not awed or intimidated by anybody. And every two years... He preached from Job 32. And there's a sermon that this man preached that did more to prepare me for ministry than almost anybody else. So I'm just sharing this as not as a boast. It's just the testimony of a grateful heart that some man of God who lived it preached this. You know... The story of Job, he loses everything. His wife says, curse God and die. And before you get too hard on his wife, remember, Job said to her, thou speakest as one of the foolish women. She wasn't given to that. She didn't talk like that all the time. She was a sweet, good wife. But when you lose all your kids, you can be in despair. And when you see somebody at their very, very worst moment, don't take your camera out and take a picture. That's good right then they might say or do something that they deeply regret don't show it to everybody and say this is the way they always are that's not the way they always are but wow if you suffered the loss she did you might have said something like that too and job says you speak like one of the foolish women but of course you know the story and if you just kind of traipse through a few verses chapter four of of job here Job has these three comforters that come. And, of course, he's there. And, and, and let me just say this in preliminary. When, when someone goes through difficult times, they can almost endure anything. And Satan came and said, does Job fear God for naught? Just let me touch his body and he'll curse you to your face. There is nothing on this planet that will suck the Christianity, the faith, and the confidence out of someone like suffering with a physical malady. You, you can, oh, hey, I lost my job. Well, I'll get another one. Hey, the, But you, if you don't have your health, your future, your very life, your time, you don't enjoy. Health is the epitome, and that's why Job is there, and Satan comes and says, well, yeah, sure. Yeah, he's, he's righteous, sure. But you let me touch his body, and he'll curse you to your face. And I'm saying, I, I have 50 years of ministry now, and I promise you, when I see a woman who's struggling with health things, battled health things, stand up and say, Lord, whatever it takes. And if that means I go home sooner than somebody else, I, I know the kind of Christian that talks like that. But the friends come, and of course they're going to pontificate, they're going to, explain i mean hey look you know basically everybody says gonna say this you're getting spanked and you had it coming there's probably some secret sin what'd you do wrong how come god has to treat you like this that's the automatic default assumption isn't it so if you look here in chapter four verse seven here comes eliphaz the temanite and He's a religious dogmatist who says some true things, but they're very harsh. Lord, deliver me from Christians who have only a sword and never have a balm of Gilead. 
Remember, I pray thee, verse 7, whoever perished being innocent, or where were the righteous cut off? His position is, Job, you're suffering. Just admit it. You are doing something wrong. It's maybe a secret sin, but God only punishes wicked. No, no. See, that's not actually true. That rain falls on the just and on the unjust. We all take our turns. It doesn't always have to be the chastening of the Lord. But he's, he's, he's so proud he could strut sitting down. <laughs> Slip over to chapter 8. Bildad the Shuhite comes along. As far as he's concerned, Job's just a hypocrite. In verse 5 and 6, he says, If thou wouldest seek unto God betimes and make thy supplications to the Almighty, if thou wert pure and upright, surely now he would awake for thee and make the habitation of thy righteousness prosperous. He likes to quote Proverbs. He likes to say, it, it always reminds me of a family that has a child at 24 that goes wayward and people have to come and shove Proverbs 22.6 under their nose. Hey, if the if train up a child the way he should go when he's holding not depart from it. Hey, that's a proverb, not a promise. People get old and they make their own choices. Well, I'm not, I'm not preaching on that, but chapter 11. Zophar the Namathite. What wonderful friends. He's presumptuous and speaks like he knows all about God, how God thinks, all about everything, how God operates. The, when the Bible says God's ways are past finding out, the Calvinist says, oh, I figured him out. <laughs> the T-shirt that says Black Lives Matter and the cops, ones, the blue ones say blue lives matter. The ones that come out, Calvinists, some lives matter. <laughs> Job's response in chapter 12, slip over to verse 3 of chapter 12. He's not impressed with any of these guys. And he says, but I have understanding, verse 3, as well as you. I'm not inferior to you. Yea, who knoweth not such things? You know, what you're saying is patently obvious. Just come along. I know the general principle. God punishes sin. Most suffering has a direct cause. I get it. But I also know there's exceptions. You've added nothing to me. I've learned nothing. Chapter 16, they go back and forth. Well, what about this? What about that? Job answers. What about this? What about that? And I imagine if it was me, I'd get kind of frustrated, and I might say some of the things that Job said, and later we know that God says to Job, hey, who is this that darkeneth counsel? Where were you when I made the world? I mean, God humbles Job a little more. Hey, hey. Hey. But here in chapter 16, the first five verses, he cries out in frustration, and Job answered and said, I have heard many such things. Miserable comforters are ye all. You know, there are times when they just need comfort I had a family the guy pastored near me our church is running four or five hundred he's running six eight he brings his kids into our Christian school morning after morning I'd meet with him pray with him buy him coffee take him to breakfast and he's got three girls he works bivocational, loves the Lord, sweet Christian guy. And he tells me, Pastor, 
My youngest child is a teenager, and my wife is expecting. He said, you know, I'm going to be 55 by the time that baby gets old enough to drive. I'm going to be in my 50s trying to teach him how to swim. He finds out it's a fourth girl. They pick out a name. He's all excited. He starts going to the gym and exercising. He starts eating right. He makes a commitment to his wife. Listen, I'm going to be here. I'll tell you what, that child, I want to walk that girl down the aisle. The light of his life. But I was there. When he said to me, Pastor King, uh, the doctor's kind of concerned at the last checkup that he wasn't hearing everything normal in the womb. And the next day when Pastor King, they don't find a heartbeat and an eight-and-a-half-month pregnancy... I'm in the room right after they stimulated the birth and delivered a six and a half pound baby, pure black, dead for two weeks, disintegrating in the womb. Three older sisters weeping their eyes out. And a mom holding a dead baby. And a dad with tears running down his face. With his arm around his wife who's propped up in the bed. And he says, hey girls, come over here and meet your sister. Pastor King, would you take a picture of our family? Nothing in me said, well, brother, you probably ate too many donuts. That's why this happened. I don't pretend to know why this has befallen sweetest Christians I know best mom and dad I know would have loved that child I mean Lord if you want to take somebody out early I got names Nancy Pelosi <laughs> when I hear these words miserable Comforters are you. There is a place for Christians just to comfort. You don't have to offer explanations. You don't have to pontificate. You don't have to say, well, you know, hey, what are you going to do now? You can say, I'm so sorry for your loss. God help you through this trial. Get off your high horse. You don't know when you're the one that goes from the penthouse to the outhouse and you're going to hope somebody comes alongside you. I'm not actually preaching on that. I'm just getting that off my chest. They continue to speak to Job. He continues to answer them. And after you get down to chapter 32, and this is where we're going, and Verse 1 of chapter 32. And so these three men ceased to answer Job because he was righteous in his own eyes. Now that's wrong for Job, right? I mean, you got to just be... I might have gotten my hackles up if I'd have been in his shoes too. But 
verse 2, Then was kindled the wrath of Elihu, the son of Barakai, the buzzite of the kindred of Ram against Job, for his wrath was his wrath kindled, because he justified himself rather than God. And against his three friends was his wrath kindled, because they had found no answer, and yet had condemned Job. Now Elihu had waited till Job had spoken, because they were elder than he. When Elihu saw that there was no answer in the mouth of these three men, then his wrath was kindled, and Elihu the son of Barakai, the Buzzite answered and said, I am young, and ye are very old. Wherefore I was afraid, and durst not show you mine opinion. I said, Days should speak, and multitude of years should teach wisdom. But there is a spirit in man, and the inspiration of the Almighty giveth them understanding. Great men are not always wise, neither do the aged understand judgment. Therefore I said, Hearken to me. I also will show thee mine opinion. Behold, I waited for your words. I gave ear to your reasons whilst ye searched out what to say. Yea, I attended unto you, and behold, there was none of you that convinced Job or that answered his words. Now, I kind of like this. I like a young man of God that has the courage of his convictions. I'll be respectful. I'll wait my turn, but I'm not going to be bashful. God's shown me something, and I'm going to say it. I love the courage combined with grace. I love the, hey, I listened, I listened, I didn't. No, you guys, you're off the beaten path. And then he begins to speak. And uh, we're done tracing the thing I want to just focus on that verse number nine. Great men are not always wise. Pastor Nelson graduated near the bottom of his class. He was not cum laude, but oh laude. But he would preach this verse, and his purpose was to say, keep your eyes on the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the one we worship. He's the one we listen to. He's the one we follow, and he's the one we're trying to please. He would spend time in this and talk about great men. And he would go through the Old Testament. We won't take time tonight, but hey, this guy was among David's mighty men. And he killed 800 Philistines. Or this one stood in the pea patch and hacked him till his hand claved to the sword. And he went through and talked about he was mightier than those, and he was... And he went through and he'd say, look, first and foremost, you must agree there are great men. There are great men. They have great gifts. They have great talent. They have great minds. They have great abilities. They have great achievements. They command great respect. They have accomplishments. They have, listen, some guys cannot abide the thought that there really are great men. And he would say, look, get over yourself. There are great men. And then he would preach. Hey, if you don't think Billy Graham's a great man, you're stupid. Thousands of people have been saved. Millions of people have heard the gospel. He is a great man. I never criticize him. When I've won as many people to Christ as he has, then I'll talk till then I shut up. Jack Van Impey's a great man. He memorized most of the Bible, and he's had great influence. 
he'd say, Peter Ruckman came into the kingdom for such a time as this, and he called churches and Christians and colleges back to the King James Bible. If you don't think he's a great man, you're kidding yourself. And he'd name Jack Hiles and Jerry Falwell, and he'd go through. There are great men, R.G. Lee, John R. Rice. And then he'd say one or two things that he appreciated about each one. Billy Graham was a Baptist evangelist, and he started his crusades, and he made a promise. I'm never going to take a dime from any book or any crusade. I will not minister for money. And four businessmen said, we will take care of you and Ruth and pay all your expenses. He lived in a modest house, drove a modest car, and never took a penny from any crusade. He talked about Bob Jones. Hey, Bob Jones started Bob Jones College in Tennessee, and they moved to Greenville. And wow, his son followed his footsteps, and his grandson. How many guys wouldn't love to have three generations all with the same convictions and following in their same? And then he would go through and talk about Jack Hiles and how nobody taught me to love people like Dr. Hiles did. And I love going to his pastor's conference and watching the church with a heart. And they care for the blind and the deaf and, wow, the bus ministry. And, and he'd say, look, these are great men. I'm probably the only guy on the planet. Pastor Nelson, because he was humble... And he'd hear about these guys. Hey, did you see Bill Rice started this ranch for the deaf? We, we got to get Bill Rice here to come tell our people about that. So Bill Rice comes and preaches. Hey, did you see that Bob Jones University? All these people that graduated from there, they got more administrative ability than most guys I ever met. And I'm going to have Bob Jones come and preach. Hey, we're going to have a soul winning conference. And we're going to have Jack Hiles come and preach. Hey, we're going to have a conference on how to start churches, and we're going to get Dr. John Rawlings. Well, I tell you what, he's got seven satellite churches going there in Cincinnati. And, hey, hey, I got this combination of guys, Warren Wearsby, John Rawlings, Peter Ruckman, Jack Hiles, all signed in front of my Bible, my old Schofield. I'm the only guy on the planet that had those guys come to our church. And Pastor Nelson said, hey, look, don't ask me if I agree with these guys on everything. I don't agree with myself most of the time. <laughs> I'm not saying they're perfect. I'm saying they're great men of God. Let's get a blessing out of them. Let's learn from what we could. Uh, hey, Don Howard starts ACE. We'll get him to come uh, teach us how to start a school. He, and, I'm, and I'm only saying, you understand, he genuinely believed these guys are great men of God. Let's get all we can. We had Jerry Falwell come and preach. Pastor Nelson went to college with Jerry Falwell. Jerry Falwell got kicked out of BBC for all the shenanigans he pulled in, in the dormitories. You can't put snakes in the girls' shower room. That's that's bad. You can't. You don't. Never should do that. <laughs> he said, "You can't imagine how many people hate that there are great men." He said they either spend their time criticizing them or denying them. He said, look, it's always been that way. There are great men. Just get over yourself. You might not be one of them, but appreciate the fact that there are great men. And the second half of the verse, great men are not always wise he says I don't endorse anybody I don't even endorse myself more than 80% 
I got a lot of sermons I wish I wouldn't have preached. Imagine the spirit and the humility. Brother, Brother Nelson, I can't believe you had so-and-so in your pulpit. Don't you know? He said, no, I didn't know. No, I didn't know. I don't want to know. And then he would go through. I appreciate this and this about this man, but I wasn't happy when he let Catholic priests come on his platform. But great men are not always wise. I like when Jack Hiles does this or this or this, but if he failed to deal with sin in the church, hey, they're not always wise. He'd bring up, David did a lot of things right, but when it was the time for kings to go to war and he's on a roof, looking at a woman on a rooftop, hey, hey, great men are not always wise. And he'd teach us. He would go through and list. All, these guys, he'd give two or three things that he appreciated and respected and admired. And then for each one, he'd give one thing he'd say. And he'd frame it in a gracious way. I wouldn't walk real far down the lane with them when Jerry Falwell had that, got in bed with that Pentecostal guy that owned the TV stations. I didn't think that was a good choice. Or R.G. Lee, man, he helped us in a hundred ways, but... I don't think he should have been part of the Southern Baptist Convention. Now, you understand what I'm saying? If you were raised in that culture, he's the guy that led me to Christ. He's the guy that discipled me, taught the Bible. He's the guy that brought these people in front of me. And so when people say to me, well, Brother King, are you a man worshiper? I go, no, nope, nope, I know who I'm worshiping. I'm worshiping Jesus Christ. The only person that never disappointed me was him. But I can get a blessing from other men. I can learn from other men. I can learn from their achievement. I can learn from their perception. I can learn from their motivation. I, hey, one guy told me, I learned from Bill Gothard to love God. I learned from Peter Ruckman to love the Bible. I learned from Jack Hiles to love people. But I worship Jesus Christ. Now hear me carefully. I hired a staff member. And anybody that has strong pastoral leadership is accused of building a personality cult. <laughs> right? I, I'm just saying. That's, that's the constant thing. Uh, I'm more spiritual than you. You're a man worshiper. Oh, you think they can do no wrong. And I'm going, what are you talking about? From the week I got saved till today, what I was taught was great men are not always wise. So I don't have this artificial standard that expects the pastor to be perfect. Because he's not. And neither is anybody else. But after all the years, 17 years under Pastor Nelson... And then he said, well, Randy, you know, I don't want to destroy with my own hands what I spent my whole life building. The church is up to 250. Uh, I, don't have, I don't even know what I'm doing here. I've got to get out of the way. You've got to take this thing and get it to the next level here. I... How many men do you know that talks like that? And he says, look, I'm going to be your biggest fan, your biggest cheerleader, and I've got to tell you a secret. If the whole thing collapses around you and disintegrates, you and I will go across town and start a decent church. <laughs> I'll just figure that it lasted six months longer than it would have if I'd have stayed pastor. Uh, listen, I'm not making this up, folks. Can you imagine the freedom that gave me? I'm not living up to anybody else's expectations. I'm, keep your eyes on the Lord Jesus, teach and preach the word of God, love people, and leave the results in God's hands. So, you've never, you never heard, I don't go through 
life saying, I'll tell you what, I think that guy should do this, and I think that guy should do that, and I don't know why. Oh, oh, nope. To his own master, I read Romans 14, to his own master he standeth or falleth. Yea, he shall be holding up for God is able to make him stand. Amen. I'm not in charge of him. If you're so strong in the local church, then mind your own business and leave him alone. Mm-hmm. He's got a church. You've got a church. Take care of yours. Amen. I can't tell you much I believe this. And I'm saying tonight, I, I'm challenging you as church people. Once in a while, someone will come to me, well, Brother King, a pastor really hurt me. Well, pastor, I was really disappointed in my answer is always the same. Hey, aren't you glad we have Jesus to follow? Amen. I wished everybody was everything in a bowl of cherries. <laughs> the only perfect pastor is me. We, <laughs> we, we all see things through our own eyes. Every person, right. every pastor thinks they're the one that's balanced. Oh, if you have one more conviction of holiness and separation and purity than I do, you're a legalist. And if you have one less conviction on, on separation and purity, you're a liberal. Me, me, I'm the balanced one. <laughs> but if you're going to give me enough respect to say, Pastor King's doing the best he knows, see in the Bible then give that to another man of God. He's doing the best he can with the Bible. He answers to Jesus Christ, but so do you. So do I. Great men are not always wise. And here's the last truth. Most people who failed in this Bible failed in the second half of life. Lots of people started out well. Saul was fine when he was small in his own eyes. But when he intruded into the priest's office, when he inquired at the witch of Endor, when the Ichabod was written over his kingdom, when one more righteous than him, David's going to take the throne. Hey, he failed in the second half. David was doing fine till he got to the end. Lots and lots of people did well till they got to the end. And so here I am now going on 70 years old. And some of the people that I saw that were my heroes or that were really an inspiration and a help to me, would it shock you that some of them have gone Calvinist? Or some of them have quit winning souls. I know a guy who's a Presbyterian pastor who used to be one of us. You say, well, how could that happen? I've seen it my whole life. Great men are not always wise. I worship and serve and follow one and one alone, the Lord Jesus Christ. I suggest... You do the same. Let's pray, shall we? Just before I pray, I wonder who would say with the uplifted hand, Pastor King, I'm mighty glad for the great men that have had an influence on me. I've met, been served by, or helped by some great Christian men and women They've been a real example, a real inspiration, a real help to me. And I'm thankful for the mighty men of God that God's raised up in my life that I've encountered, that I've benefited from, that I've been helped by. Thank you, Lord, for the great men and women of God. Would you just slip your hand up and put it right back down? There's a person, there's two or three, there are many who've helped me get to where I am today. God bless you. God bless you. You may put it down. But how many would say, Pastor King, I'm with you. Some of those very people that I look to are not where, at least where I think they ought to be today. And I've been shamed or disappointed or disillusioned and 
I have to just confess, I really was heartbroken when I heard about a moral failure, a doctrinal deviation. And there's someone that I used to look up to that's not where they should be tonight. And that name, that person, is on my heart as we sit here tonight. Would you just slip your hand up? I know somebody I wished it wasn't so. But boy, I'm... I'm, I'm saddened by what's happened. God bless you. God bless you. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. How true it is, great men are not always wise. To whom shall we turn? Thou only hast immortality. Lord, thou hast the words of life. Paul said, be ye followers of me, even as I am of Christ. Help us, Lord, to see past great men through to the Bible and the Lord Jesus Christ and to follow them only to the extent that they're following you. Make it so. Someday we answer to you alone. May we greatly, humbly serve you, thankfully serve you. Lord, those that are stumbling, those that are falling, those that have disappointed, Lord, we pray. You said if a man be overtaken in a fall, ye that are spiritual, Restore such an one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. But for the grace of God, there go I. Thank you, Lord, today for Pastor Nelson, his example, his perception, his balance that helped me in formative years to keep my eyes on Jesus Christ. Bless our night, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Pastor.